0: Oh! to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 40, as we follow along with today's lesson.
1: But Martha was cumbered about much serving. I mean, Busy, busy, busy in the serving. And today we have people that match both types of personalities. And they're both good and they're both important. The story isn't really putting down Martha for all of her activity for the Lord. That was her way of expressing love. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Service for the Lord is important. It's a very important thing. And if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, then your, your faith is questionable. Even John tells us that we are to love not in words, but in our deeds and in truth. And and the the story that Jesus has just told about the man who was beset by the thieves on the road to Jericho, Uh, in that story, uh, the one who did for the man was the one who was commended and really showed himself to be a neighbor. Those that just looked and maybe felt sympathetic without doing anything for him did not advantage or help the man at all. He needed more than sympathy. He needed the wounds to be bound up, to be mollified with the oil and the wine, and and he needed to be helped to the end. So doing is not wrong, but you can overdo you can do to the point of distraction. You can do to the point of neglect. You can be so busy doing for the Lord that you neglect the Lord himself. And we've got to be careful of that. You know, I think that the churches have made a mistake many times in taking When a person comes into the church, you know, the third Sunday you become a member. Uh, First Sunday you're a visitor, second Sunday you're a second-time visitor, but the third Sunday they get you on the books. Your name goes on the roll in the Sunday school class after the third Sunday. And so often, immediately, they have the uh, philosophy that the way to keep them is to get them involved in service, and so often when you show up the third Sunday, the pastor is there greeting you, welcoming you again, and handing you a uh, Sunday school quarterly and saying, "We need a teacher for the fourth grade class, you know, and we feel that you're the one, you know, and because if you start teaching, you see, then you're going to stay there, and and they have that of putting people to work immediately." And the result so often is that a person, after a period of time, gets burned out because of all of the duties and the demands that are made upon them by the church. After service this morning, I had a fellow that came up to me. said that uh, he uh, had been going to church, but they... He, he got so involved in so many activities in the church visitation committee and on and on and on and on uh, that he said, I got burned out. And he said, I left the church. And he said, I backslid for nine years. And he said, you know, it has been such a blessing to be here at Calvary and just to sit and hear the word. Not to to feel any pressure to have to teach a Sunday school class or get in a visitation, but just to sit and feed on the words. He said, you don't know what this has done for me. You don't know what a blessing it is after having burned out in service. And so often the service that is sort of pressured upon us and pressed upon us that isn't really something that comes from my own heart. It isn't something that, that is springing out of my own love for the Lord, but it's, it's sort of a duty or an obligation that's been pushed upon me. It's very easy to get burned out with that kind of service. Quite often people come up and they say, how can we get involved here at Calvary Chapel? You know, we would, like to maybe teach a Sunday school class. How do we get involved? And I'll say to them, well, you just found out. You have to ask. You won't be asked to do anything. You, you, no one's going to come around and, and uh, visitation and say, now, uh, what are your aptitudes and what are your skills and uh, what can we plug you into, you know? But you have to ask. It's got to come from your heart. It has to come from your desire to serve the Lord. And when it comes from your desire, then it'll be a delight, a joy, a blessing for you. Whereas if it's something that's sort of pushed on you, you can get burned out quickly. Mary was sitting there at the feet of Jesus, just enjoying, just relaxing, hearing his word. Martha... Cumbered about with many things as she served. Pressured, feeling pressure. Got to get it on, got to do this, got to do that. And and feeling all of the pressures of the got-tos. And became upset. Because Mary was just sitting there, relaxing and enjoying. And here, she was just sort of harried with with all of the things that she felt she must do to make things just perfect for Jesus. So she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bitter that she come and help me. Don't let her just sit there, Lord. Tell her to get in the kitchen with me. Now, Martha had come to the place where her service was no longer motivated just by the sheer love for Jesus, but she was feeling pressured by it and now complaining to Jesus. And you never want to get to that place where you find yourself complaining about what you're doing for the Lord. If ever you arrive at that place where you find yourself complaining about what you're doing for the Lord, then for God's sake and for your sake, quit doing it. The Lord doesn't want any of us to be complaining about what we have done for him or what we've given to him. That's why Peter, when talking about serving the Lord, said that it should not be by constraint nor should it be for filthy lucre's sake but it should be only out of a ready willing heart that's the service that god accepts paul tells us that when we give that it should not be grudgingly out of a sense of obligation that we resent it but god loves the cheerful giver And so God doesn't want grudging service, grudging gifts, complaining service, pressured service. Oh, I feel I've got to do it under constraint. I'm under pressure to do it. No, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants your service for him to just rise out of a heart that's overflowing with love where you don't feel it as sense of duty but you're just so in love that, you know, it's just glorious. Like like the young girl who had been married for three months and she met a friend of hers and hadn't seen for a while and her friend said, well, how are you doing? She said, oh, I'm doing just really great. She said, well, how's your job going down at the insurance company? She said, oh, I don't work anymore. I'm married now. Well, probably the washing of the clothes and dishes and keeping the house clean, she's probably putting in a lot more labor than she ever put in at the insurance company. But you see, she's so in love that she doesn't look at it as work. That's the way the Lord wants it. So in love with him that you don't look at it as as work it's just a joy. It's a blessing. Martha had gone beyond that. And so Jesus said to her, Oh, Martha, Martha. And, and the repetition of her name is, is very tender. It's, 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 uh, it shows the familiarity that they had. It shows the love that existed between them. And, of course, we are told that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. He loved them both. They were special to him. And Jesus said, "Martha, Martha, you are filled with care. Careful uh, it, that, that has come to mean something different. You know, it, it should be you should think of it as filled with care. We think of careful now. Careful how you hold that egg. You know, don't drop it. Uh, and and it, it, it but it, it really means you're filled with care." And you are troubled about many things. You're just so burdened down, troubled, filled with care about all of these things, many things. But there's one thing that is needful. Mary has chosen that. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Of the many things that crowd into our lives Many things that fill us with care Many things that trouble us As we're wanting to do just the right thing for the Lord But there's one thing that is really needful And so many times we neglect that one needful thing And that's just to sit at his feet and worship It's interesting that Mary's devotion for Jesus was expressed in a different way than Martha's. They both loved him deeply. Mary expressed her love in just the closeness to him, the wanting to be close to him. When he was sitting at dinner, she expressed her love by taking the most expensive perfume and pouring it over his head. And the fragrance filled the whole house. But her expression of love was brought into rebuke by Judas Iscariot. And he rebuked her. He said, why this waste? You could have sold that for several thousand dollars. and We could have given the money to the poor. Not that he was really interested in the poor, according to John. He was a thief. He was keeping the money and had been thieving out of the purse. But Jesus rebuked Judas, and he said, you leave her alone. The poor you have with you always, you won't have me always, and she's done this, anointed me for my burial. And so Jesus was defending Mary's lavish expression of love in the pouring of the expensive perfume on him. Now Mary is just sitting there at his feet, just looking up adoringly, and just listening to him and, and just having this close conversation, communion with. Him. And Martha comes in and is upset. Lord, tell her to get on the kitchen with You know, look, don't you care that she's left me all alone and you know, here she was, and you can just hear her just nervous and upset and you know, tense and just pitting you know, the few pitches up in the voice, and just, you know, <laughs> you've seen them trying to get the dinner all ready at the same time and on the table and keep the hot food hot, you know, and don't let the jello melt and, you know, just... (laughs) (laughs) Make her come out and help me. And Martha, in her busyness, would take Mary away from the important place of there at the feet of Jesus, worshiping. Not always will people understand your devotion for the Lord, Sometimes they may accuse you of not doing enough. But time at the feet of Jesus is never wasted. It's really the needful thing. Oh, yes, doing is needful too. The world needs the doers. We can't all be dreamers. If the whole world were just sentimental dreamers, then nothing would get done we'd still be in the jungles. Uh, But it's the doers. They're important. They're necessary. But not doing to the expense of neglecting the most important thing, and that's your relationship with Jesus, sitting at his feet, loving him, worshiping him, hearing him speak to you. Chapter 11, as we... Continue our journey through the scriptures. And it came to pass that he was, as he was praying in a certain place, when he had ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Prayer was a very important and integral part of the life of Christ. You could say concerning Jesus that he was a man of prayer. It is interesting, however, that when it speaks of Jesus asking, it is a different Greek word. When we ask, it's in the form of a petition When Jesus asked, it was as in consultation. It was not really a petition as such, but just uh, a talking to the Father because, of course, Jesus had been with the Father from the beginning. And in the beginning, they said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So the divine counsels. So when Jesus was praying, his was more the communion, the divine counsels as he talked with the Father concerning the issues of his ministry and mission here on the earth. But he stayed in that constant communion with the Father and thus the disciples in observing how that Jesus was always praying Before every major decision, before every major manifestation of God's presence and power, he was in prayer. And so, once more, Jesus is praying. The disciples, recognizing that this is a pattern of his life, when he was through praying, one of them came and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? John taught his disciples, you teach us. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing in prayer is relationship, our Father. You see, if you are not a child of God, you have no access to the Father. In the Old Testament period, to come to God, you had to go through the priest and through many sacrifices. You could not come directly to God. You uh, had the priest as your mediator and you would bring your sacrifice to him. He would go to God for you. But now through Jesus Christ, we have the relationship of sons. And thus, we can come and... With this relationship, Father, in heaven, access to God is made available, and we can bring our petitions and our requests to Him. Our Father which art in heaven, the address of the prayer, the God who has created the heavens and the earth. And I'm coming to Him in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts as... Uh, The disciples had been threatened not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus unless they would experience dire consequences. Uh, They came to the body of Christ and they shared the threats that were made to them by the religious leaders, and uh, they knew that trouble was brewing, and so they joined together in prayer, and they began the prayer by saying, O Lord, Thou art God. Thou hast created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them. And then they began to, they began to quote the scriptures that prophesied of the very things they had experienced that day. Lord, you're God. You're the creator of the heaven and the earth and everything that is in it. How we need to know that in prayer how that gives us confidence when we bring to Him our requests. You see, so many times when we go to prayer, we're so overwhelmed by our problems that all we can see is the problem. It just looms like a giant before us. And we can see no answer, no solution. But when you begin your prayer, O Lord, Thou art God, You created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them, and I look out at this vast universe, then my problem doesn't look so big anymore. The God who created the universe and all of the life forms within it surely can handle this little issue that I'm faced with. It is nothing for thee, O Lord, to help. And we need to realize the one that we are talking to is the Creator. And that He knows all about our situation. Prayer is not uh, sharing time. Okay, Lord, this is information time. I want you to know what's going on in my life. He knows what's going on in your life. And uh, the Bible tells us that He knows what you have need of before you even ask Him. So prayer is, is time with just communing with the Father and laying bare our hearts and seeking His help and His strength. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, sacred is your name. Now, his name is not God, that's his title. His name is Yahweh or Jehovah, and we don't know for sure just how it should be um, phonetically sounded. Because all we have are the consonants But The name of the Lord Or the name Jehovah or Yahweh The scripture said is a strong tower The righteous runneth into it and are safe Uh, So that Hallowed be thy name Throughout the Psalms There is the mention of the name of the Lord And uh, It it was very important. In fact, the reason why we don't know how to pronounce it is that the Jews uh, felt that the name of God was so holy that human lips should not even utter it and thus no endeavor to utter the name of God. Uh, They would just refer to him as the name but no endeavor to pronounce at all. In fact, it causes a Jew sort of sh- to shudder when we Gentiles are guessing at Yahweh or Jehovah. You know, they get sort of up uh, tight because uh, the name of God is so reverend, so holy to them that they feel that uh, human lips should not even utter the name. Hallowed be thy name. And then the first petition, and prayer for us is petition, asking God for our needs. But our first concern should not be our own personal needs, but our first concern should be for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things, referring to our needs, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, all these things will be added to you. Get your priorities right. The kingdom of God first. Concern for the kingdom of God first. And as we look at the world in which we live today and as we see the problems of our society, we observe the moral breakdown, the anarchy, how that stirs in our hearts. The prayer for Lord thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The pain, the suffering, the misery that we experience in this world should only sharpen our focus on heavenly things and increase our desire for the kingdom of God to come. Lord thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth, even as it is in heaven. Now, this is a recognition that the world today is in rebellion against God. And I don't think that that point needs to be argued at all. As we look around at the world in which we live, it is anti God and anti Christ, it's in rebellion against the law of God and against the authority of God. And it would appear that uh, these worldly entities, the powers of darkness, are in control of most of the media so that uh, we we are always seeing on the media uh, those things that are opposed to the laws of God and to the holiness of God and to the purity of God. And they are advocating, of course, these people get on and they advocate all kinds of unrighteous, unholy activities in a defiance of God and the laws of God. And whenever we see this and we see, of course, then the disaster that results from it, from our heart there comes that spontaneous cry, oh Lord, Come quickly, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. It's interesting that one of the, well, the last prayer of the Bible is for the coming kingdom. At the end of the book of Revelation, as as God closed off his uh, revelation of himself to man, the Lord said to John, Behold, I come quickly. And John responded, Even so Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. And that prayer of John is repeated so often by us as we look at the world and conditions today. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Because we want to see the will of God being done here on earth even as it is in heaven. The will of God is not being done here on earth. It is the will of man in rebellion against God but we want to see God's kingdom come and His will being done. Now, we move from the broad kingdom of God to our own personal needs, and one thing that we do need is bread. And bread does represent those things that are necessary to sustain life. Bread is essential to sustain life. Food is important and necessary in the sustenance of man. Therefore, give us this day our daily bread. And asking God for that personal need uh, that we have to sustain ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. There are people that have that holier-than-thou, you know, and they they sort of say, well, I never like to ask God anything for myself, you know. Oh, come on, give me a break. Uh, if, you, if you search behind all of your motives in prayer, you'll find that most of them are, you know, sort of selfish motives if you really look close enough. That's why I don't try to look too closely. Uh, and then, forgive us our sins. Now, from a physical standpoint, I need daily bread. From a spiritual standpoint, my greatest need, spiritually, is the forgiveness of my sins. Because if my sins aren't forgiven, then my sins will be judged. And thus, I need the forgiveness of my sins, lest I stand before God in judgment. Forgive us our sins. And thank God he has provided through Jesus Christ the means whereby our sins can be forgiven. And so the prayer, forgive us our sins. But then another petition is added to that, for we also, or a statement, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lord, I've done things that offended you, forgive me. And Lord, I do forgive those who have done things that offended me. It's important that we also have a forgiving heart, that we not hold against someone else a wrong that is real or imagined that they have done to us. Oh, how Satan likes to get in and just destroy us with that feeling of of vengeance and Get even, or I'll never forgive you for that kind of an attitude. And Jesus spoke a lot about forgiveness and about the importance of our forgiving. And then, lead us not into temptation. Uh, A difficult uh, kind of um, petition because James said, Let no man When he is tempted, say that I am tempted of God because God does not tempt men with evil. But a man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when that lust uh, comes to fruition, it brings sin. So, uh, Lord, keep me from uh, those things that would arouse the fleshly nature Now, as we get to the end of the chapter, Jesus is going to be talking about uh, how that uh, the, the light of the soul is the eye. And if your eye is single, then your body is full of light. But if the light that is in you is darkness, then how great is your darkness? It is through the eye that so much temptation comes. And of course, today, living in this society... When we have now such means of communication and uh, the, the ability to, uh, you don't have to visualize things, you can see things. And as television is getting more rotten all the time, as they are really constantly sort of uh, pressing the limits To see how far they can go without sanctions. And as uh, more and more we we are seeing uh, filth on television that you would not dream to have seen uh, in times past. But they are exposing more and more. And of course, the United States is a little bit behind Europe in in these things. And some of the other nations uh, where... uh, uh this media is is really putting blatantly before people all kinds of suggestive arousing things now lord help me to leave that thing off if necessary rather than to sit there and pollute my mind with the junk that satan is offering to destroy people today on the tube. Uh, I don't know. It may be that we will come to a time when we'll have to take a very strong stand against uh, this whole corrupt media uh, that is just filling the minds of people with all kinds of filth and really leading the nation down the tube to destruction. So lead us not into temptation. Lord, uh, keep me from those things that would pander to my fleshly desires and turn me away from you. Deliver me from that evil. And having given to them the model, and and that's not to be repeated verbatim as as a rote kind of a thing, but it's sort of a pattern for prayer, a model for prayer. Then he said unto them, still talking on the subject of prayer, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to my house, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Now, usually the houses were just one room. There was a divider in the middle. And for warmth, the family all slept together uh, in the same bed. And... Uh, which does not really a bed, but mats on the floor, but they huddled close to each other for warmth. And of course, if one gets up, then all of the children are aroused and they awaken. And you know how children are when they wake up at night, hard to get them back to sleep. So you can see the picture. Midnight, you're settled comfortably in bed, and there comes this knock on the door, insistent and persistent, and it's your neighbor, and he's wanting to borrow some bread. It's midnight, man. And uh, so uh, the the objection, I can't get up. I'm in bed. The kids are all asleep. You know, go away. Uh, but I say unto you, Jesus said, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. I mean, <laughs> if you're my friend, go home. Uh, but he won't do it because he's his friend. His friend, but because of his importunity, now that's translated in other versions, his shameful persistence. That is, he just keeps knocking. You know, you you sort of think, oh, I hope I didn't hear anything. You know, and maybe he'll go away. You know, and you stay there in bed for a while. It's warm. You know, it's comfortable. You don't want to disturb everybody. And but the guy just keeps knocking. You know, and ooh, you know, finally you think, ah, uh, you know. I'm not going to get rid of him until I get up and give him the bread. So yet because of his importunity, his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, ask. Now, I believe that Jesus is teaching here by contrast. He's not saying that you've got to just persist with God. You've got to bug God until he you know, uh gives in. Uh, I think that the contrast is here. Uh, that uh, with a friend, though he will not do for a friend, yet because if you're persistent enough, he'll give in. I don't think that we have to break down God's resistance. Uh, I, I don't think that that is really at all the purpose of prayer. I don't think that God is reluctant to give to us that which is right and that which is good. I believe that every good thing we've ever asked God for, God has already determined to give it to us. And prayer opens the door to allow God to do what he is wanting to do all along. In John, the 15th chapter, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and ordained that you should be my disciples. And that you should bring forth fruit and your fruit should remain that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Not he shall, but he may. In other words, it opens the door to allow God to do what he wants to do. You see, God has given to us our free wills. The power of choice. God will not violate our free will. He will not force on us something we don't want. That's not God's way and it's not God's nature to force on you what you don't want. And so through prayer, I open the door and allow God then to do what he is desiring to do. As true prayer begins with the heart of God, that's where prayer always starts. He makes his will known to my heart. He puts desires in my heart. He writes his law on the fleshly tablets of my heart. I see the need and I express the need to God and thus the circle is complete and now God is able to do for me what he's longing and desiring to do. So I think that we have a a lesson here in contrast. On the earth, Men will give in to persistence, but such is not necessary with God. If you just ask, you will receive. If you just seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be open. It won't you won't hear a voice saying, Go away. You know, don't want to be bothered with you now. Leave me alone. You won't find a reluctance, but you'll find a God who is ready and willing and desiring because you're his child to just give to you whatever you need. For everyone that asketh receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. And if a son shall ask for bread, and again we have the contrast here. Notice Give us this day our daily bread. We're going back to the model prayer. The uh, story has to do with bread and uh, the need for bread. Uh, Then another story in which bread is, is a factor in it. If you have a son who asks you for bread, any of you who are a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish... Will, for fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And, and these things are, uh, in our minds, repulsive. And, and of course, we, we recoil against even the thought of these things. Of course not. As a father, I wouldn't do something like that for my child who is, is coming home and, and is hungry and wants some food. He says, Dad, is there any bread around here? I want a peanut butter sandwich. I don't say, go out and eat the rocks, kid. (laughs) You know, and and, and I wouldn't think of that. And and so as a father, you know, it's it's sort of a, a repulsive idea that you would treat your children that way who are coming to you out of their need. And so Jesus then gives, again, a contrast. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more, and there's your contrast, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So when we come and we ask the Father for that which we need to sustain us spiritually, the Holy Spirit, The tremendous need that we have for the Holy Spirit. And so I come recognizing my need, knowing that I don't have the power in myself to live the kind of a life that I want to live. A life of dedication and commitment to the Lord. I just don't have that capacity. I need the help and the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing my need, hungry for God and the things of God. When I come and say, oh Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit how much more will my heavenly Father give me the Holy Spirit when I ask him? There is, in some quarters, a blasphemous kind of concept of God that would say, now you be careful when you ask God for the Holy Spirit because you never know when you open the door, what might happen? And they tell, they tell some hair-raising tale of somebody who was seeking for the Holy Spirit and, you know, they became demon-possessed or something. That's blasphemous. Uh, if you're truly asking God for the Holy Spirit, how much more will your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him. And you don't have to be afraid when you come to God. You don't have to think, Ooh, you know, I hope I don't get some crazy, weird kind of experience. Now, if you're seeking an experience, then do be careful. Make sure that you're seeking the Holy Spirit when you're asking for the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, the Holy Spirit does and can manifest Himself in different ways. And throughout the scriptures, there were different manifestations of the power of the Holy Spirit upon the lives of the believers. But it is wrong to see how someone else has experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and then ask for that experience. For instance, uh, Finney, Dr. Finney, describes when he received the Holy Spirit, it was like a uh, waves of liquid love just pouring over him. It just came in waves and just seemed to fill him from uh, head to toe with this liquid love. And that sounds beautiful, and no doubt was to him an extremely beautiful experience. But I need to be careful that I say, Oh, Lord, I want the waves of living love, you know, just to flow over me, Lord. Let the liquid love just fill my being, Uh, because... Uh, that i 'm asking for a particular experience i 'm not just saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. you see, fill me with the holy spirit so uh, don 't just ask for an experience, ask for the Holy Spirit, and however you experience it that 's let that be in his hands, but don 't seek a experience now having given them the lessons on prayer. Luke tells us that he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. Now in Matthew's gospel, we are told that this man was also deaf and blind. Now, always there are those who jump to unscriptural conclusions and they then begin to uh, say that everyone who is mute is, you know, that there's demonic activity involved. If a person is blind, there's demonic activity or whatever. And certainly Jesus uh, dispelled that kind of irrational thinking when they saw the blind man and the disciples said, Lord, who did sin? This man is born blind, himself or his parents. And uh, Jesus said, neither, but that God might be glorified, I must do the works of God. So uh, it is possible that a person can be possessed by a evil spirit and one of the manifestations being that the evil spirit does not allow that person to speak. But uh, that is not a adequate explanation for all of those who are mute, nor for all of those who are blind, or for all of those uh, who are deaf. And that would be a horrible, horrible conclusion to try to draw. And uh, certainly no scriptural basis for it whatsoever. So, uh, but in this particular case, that was so. And Jesus cast out the evil spirit and the man was able to speak. And all of the people were in awe. But some of them said, he is casting out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. In other words, they were accusing Jesus of this kind of power that he was manifesting as coming from Satan, from the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. So two issues involved here. One of them, the accusation that he is doing these works, casting out devils, by the power of the uh, Beelzebub, or the chief of the devils, the prince of the devils. And the other was asking him to give them a sign from heaven. Now, here he's been doing all kinds of miracles, and yet they're asking for some kind of a sign. And he, knowing their thoughts said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. And if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I through the finger of God am casting out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. So that Jesus here is declaring, Look, if I'm doing this, your, your position is not rational. If I am doing this by the power of, of the devil... I'm casting out devils by the power of the devil. Then Satan's kingdom is divided against itself and it's going to fall. Time to rejoice. Satan's kingdom is about over. He's casting himself out of, uh, you know, and he's against himself. But Jesus is saying that's irrational. If that were the case. And isn't it interesting how irrational people do get who don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, that they can become very irrational, especially when they try to explain the works of Jesus in the hearts and lives of people. They try to attribute to psychology and everything else things that are wrought by the power of the Spirit of God, and they become totally irrational.
0: return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on Jesus and the evil spirit. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 10 through 11 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673.
1: Father, thank you for these little episodes in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ that give us an insight of you, of what you desire, and of what you have purposed for us. And Lord, we pray that you will just take the word of God and Planted there in our hearts May we meditate upon it And may we, Lord, use it as a guide for our lives As we look at the place of service To which you would send us And that we would learn to rejoice, Lord, in The right things that we would learn, Lord, who our neighbor is, that we might love and show kindness to those that are in need, and then, Lord, that lesson of just sitting at your feet to worship. Lord, we we want to be what you want us to be, and so continue to teach us your ways that we might walk, Lord.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time, and I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit the WordFortoday.org and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call the Word for Today at 800 277 to 9673.